This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good afternoon, good morning, good whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm not going to waste any time. I know why you're here. You want to hear Glenn, not me. So without any further delay, here's the second part of my latest conversation with our Catholic advisor, Glenn Asbury. I'll say this. Jason Lance also asked a question that I'm going to answer here and then address a broader principle that encompasses both um, the spirit in which he asked his question about purgatory that I'm going to talk about in just a moment, and also uh, Regina's perspective in asking about genuflecting and, and where both of those are in the Bible. So we haven't had a chance really to touch much on purgatory. Again, that's a distinctive teaching for Roman Catholicism, although a lot of people may not be aware of this, but the Anglican community also taught that for years. I'm not sure that they still do or not, but if you read the writings of C.S. Lewis, which a lot of Protestants do, and I'm glad they do, it's there. He talks about it. Um, but anyway, one thing I want to make clear about purgatory is that if a person ends up in purgatory, they're not on their way to hell. That's absolutely not going to happen. If a person ends up in purgatory, and it's my conviction that most of us will far away, uh, they're on their way to heaven. The root word for purgatory, you guys can probably both figure this out, is purge. Ah, I see. When you think, let's go back again to that idea of standing in the very presence of a 100% holy God whom we are told is a consuming fire in the book of Hebrews. And we look, we know ourselves. We know who we really are better than anybody else does. And if we're really, really honest about right now, are we prepared? I don't mean, a, I'm not talking about being afraid, but are we prepared in our humanity? And yes, I will say it in our sin to stand in front of a perfectly holy God. Most of us would say we'd have some hesitancy or some trembles about that, at least. Purgatory gets us ready for that. And so people ask, is it in the Bible? Well, I would say indirectly, by inference it is. I was looking before we began this show tonight for the passage in Scripture. I believe it's in 1 Corinthians 3, where the Apostle Paul—it might be 2 Corinthians 3. I remember it was chapter 3 of one of those letters, where he talks about our works going before us, and some of our works being tried in the fire, and they are gold and silver, but others um, only being wood and stubble. Well, our works are the things that we do in this life, and they're all going to be judged. And of course, we're all familiar with the idea of judgment. Yes. We all will have a personal judgment. 
again, purgatory gets us ready for all of that. And purgatory, I want to, again, I want to say this clearly, purgatory is for people who are on their way to being saints and who are trying to follow Jesus Christ, but who aren't perfect yet. And I don't know of anyone that I have I have ever met, I'll put it that way, who I would I would look at their life, and this includes this includes people I deeply respect and who are walking a close walk with God, but who I would say, yep, the be- with confidence, yep, the best uh, the best I know, you're completely holy and ready to stand <laughs> in the presence of God right now. I right. certainly cannot say that about myself. So if I can maybe uh, contrast that with uh, the Protestant belief in in again this this whole thing of of even um being a sinful person is new to anyone that's in the CHM because we didn't grow up with that but uh, a lot of the um a lot of the mainstream mainstream Protestant church will uh, say a lot of what you just said Glenn they just mm-hmm. uh they would take out the purgatory step yes am i right I, I know i agree yes yes i completely agree and um, I, I, I honestly think a lot of that stems from, I really do think a lot of Protestants, even some highly educated and well-known ones, I mean, I can't prove this, but I think a lot of them don't really understand the teaching. I, I, think, they, I think they look at purgatory as punitive and as a punishment. And um, I will grant that purgatory, because we're facing what we did wrong and the consequences that it brought in this life, and believe in people that we probably hurt, intentionally or unintentionally, among other things, it's probably not comfortable. Well, I'm actually, I'm certain that it's not. When it, when, when we, ha- whenever we have to do anything like that in this life, when is it ever comfortable? Oh, it never is. It's not. It's. But is it good? I think we'd all agree that it is. Ultimately, it's healthy. It makes us better people. Yeah. It makes us want to try harder and work harder at it. Right. Both because, well, we let ourselves down, we let people down, and we let God down. And that's never what a Christian wants to do, but we do it. I guess maybe I should speak to myself for myself. <laughs> I do it, and uh, on an astonishingly regular basis. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. I should I should close the loop here because I kind of dangled a carrot and then um, then then you know didn't follow through here, but. Both uh, both Jason's question and Regina's que- Jason's question about purgatory and Regina's question about uh, genuflecting, both they both asked where is it found in Scripture, which I notice is, uh, and I did too. I notice is a question Protestants tend to ask. Now let me state something very clearly: Catholics view the Scripture as one hundred percent inerrant as inspired by God, and as highly necessary for our faith and instruction and deepening in our Christian walk. Now, I will again admit that talking to some Catholics, um, to our shame, you wouldn't know this necessarily from how they live and how they talk, but that is the standard. Uh, 
I will say this, though, um, and again, let me go to some history that I think we all can understand. For the first several hundred years of Christianity from the New Testament era on up to the third or fourth century, where was the canon of Scripture? Well, they had the Hebrew Scriptures, they had the Old Testament, but there was no agreed-upon New Testament canon. And let's just cut to the chase. Ultimately, the church, through a process of councils and deliberations under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the church gave us the Bible, which this whole approach will give you a a bird's eye view into the Catholic mindset of why our first question isn't always, what does the Bible say about such and such a topic, but what does the church teach? Because the Bible proceeded from the church. And in fact, the Bible in 1 Timothy 3.15, this was not a verse that I knew as a Protestant, but go look it up. First, again, I may be making the same mistake as I did with Corinthians. It's either 1 Timothy 3.15 or 2 Timothy 3.15. But that passage, in that passage, the Apostle Paul refers to the church as the pillar and foundation of truth. So you have the Bible referring to the church as the pillar and foundation of truth. Now, that is not to say that the Bible isn't important, but it does explain why there are some teachings that we espouse as important that aren't specifically spelled out always in Scripture. But I'm going to say two things about that. First, similar to what I said about the teaching on purgatory and the teaching on genuflecting, uh, while you won't find those specifically in Scripture, they can easily be inferred, I think. Now, a Protestant won't agree so much about purgatory, but we, but the inferences, they could at least perhaps understand the case I'm making. Sure. That the inference is there. And I would contend that that is the case for, for any teaching in the Church. I, certainly, even if it's not specifically spelled out, I would appeal to Scripture for support for any Catholic teaching. I would also add this. Even even, uh, branches of Christendom, like our Reformed brothers and sisters, who use the phrase sola scriptura to describe themselves, I would contend that all Christians teach things, whether they realize it or not, that aren't specifically spelled out in Scripture. Uh, Some of you will remember in the last episode when we talked about the whole teaching on the Trinity, which again is fundamental to Orthodox Christianity, but that term is not in the Bible. Again, you can get there by inference, but not through that term. It's not there. So to some extent, I think it all is, it depends on greater or lesser extent. Um, As my mind worrying, because I I see exactly what what you're saying. And, um, I, Lord knows I've seen uh, church organizations in the past, mainly in the CHM, a lot of fundamentalism. They'll do that same thing with that, uh, like with, you say, the, the, uh, uh, you get Sola Scriptura, even though that, you know, the Trinity is not specifically spelled out. Uh, sometimes that can get so abused by some of the other, because some of the CHM and, fun, and, you know, fundamentalism, they'll say the same thing about their rule for, X, you know. Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. Phil, Phil, that's an excellent point. And I will just respond to that by saying this. Really, I, I, 
I, I want to pay homage to everyone who is trying to follow Christ with what with this next sentence, Catholic or Protestant. I've said for years now, I've said this to Protestant friends, and I've said it to Catholic friends, and I've not had anybody disagree. When it comes to people who are trying to follow Christ with all of their heart and with 100% sincerity, we all behave about the same at the end of the day, which tells you something about people who are really trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. Where things break down isn't that some of us believe the Bible and some don't. It's who's interpreting it. What lens is it being interpreted through? And when, as, it, as I say this with charity, when, as it is in Protestant communities, it, it's really not only always every congregation for itself somewhat, or at least every denomination for itself, but sometimes almost every man for himself, uh, you're, I mean, you're just, you're just going to run into difficulties. It's, it's where we see, uh, what, we see what has happened in the 500 years since the—I'll I'll just use the Protestant term—since the Protestant Reformation happened. Sure. And uh, I would say— I've had some of my Protestant friends tell me, well, Glenn, when I look at the Catholic community, I see, I see, you know, liberal and conservative factions there as well. And I, I have to kind of hang my head and respond and say, yes, it's, it's there. But when it comes to the actual magisterial tradition for 2000 years and the catechism, and what it teaches, you're going to find an astonishing level of uniformity and flow. That doesn't mean there aren't heretics teaching things today that the church has never taught and claiming to speak in the name of the church. It's happening. But the, the consensus, I'll just put it this way, not stating it perfectly either, but the consensus is astonishing. The, the path is there within the Catholic faith. That's my contention. I know, I know my Protestant friends um, will differ with me on that, and, and I understand that. Dennis Prager said something the other day. He was refer, uh, relating something that his dad used to tell him. And yeah. he said that his dad used to say, don't confuse Jews with Judaism. I heard him say that. And yes. uh, as I'm listening to that, <laughs> of course, first I'm like, all right, what's he mean? But then he also said, you can do the same thing with, with uh, Christians. Don't confuse Christians with Christianity. Just because yep. a, <laughs> uh, someone that is, as Dennis was talking about, someone that is a Jew does something bad, that does not mean that, you know, f- that that does not reflect entirely on that. And in our case, just because a Christian does something bad, that doesn't mean that Christianity is bad. It means that Christian did something that he shouldn't have. They practiced imperfectly. Someone failing to live up to a standard that is taught does not negate the standard. Now, we live in an era that doesn't want to embrace that, to say the least. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the, The credo of the modern spirit of the age is, Ha! Hypocrite! Failure to live up to what you preached means the standard never was worth anything to begin with. 
<laughs> yeah, no, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> it just means that uh, everyone that's human is human. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what that means. <laughs> I and and let's go back real quick if we can, and and but we won't stay here long to that whole teaching about purgatory. And I, I'm going to draw a distinction here between CHM teachings that you and I are both familiar with and how the Catholic Church, from my view, brings it full circle. Well, Phil, the CHM stands for the Conservative Holiness Movement. And I'm here to tell you the impetus and the acknowledgement on the part of the CHM and its devotees that Christ has called us to be holy, so we need to pay heed to this command and figure out how to do it. The impetus was not wrong. Jesus meant what he said. Correct. It's in the Old Testament and the New, both, when he said, be holy, for I am holy. That is the standard in the Christian faith. It's in the realm of application and exposition that the CHM got it wrong. And as you would expect, I would say that the Catholic Church gets it right. Because, yeah, it is my considered judgment that pretty close to 100% of people, when they stand at death's door, may have lived a, lo- a wonderful life, but have they achieved a 100% standard of holiness? I mean, again, I don't know anyone I can say I feel they're there. Right. Certainly, certainly not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> certainly not me. But that is the standard. Sure. And it is what Christ calls us to it's very unambiguous i mean it, it, it's not you really when you look at what he said i've i have heard all sorts of dancing around it and <laughs> shucking and jiving all sorts of things to oh, maybe he meant uh that it's nice to be holy <laughs> yeah. but we all know everybody really can't <laughs> no he said be holy for i am holy it's it's not well well my I wonder what that means uh, <laughs> no it's right there it's very plain and so what you're so, saying the the, the uh, Catholic belief of purgatory is how you attain that holiness before we heaven is for holy people okay it is not it is not for people who died you know in some level of sin. Uh, we should talk on another episode about the difference between mortal and venal sin. Tonight's not the time for that. But it's not for people—I'll phrase it another way. Heaven is not for people who died in a less-than-perfect state, which is going to be just about all of us. Jesus said that was the standard, and he died— we say it in the battle hymn of, Rep- of, of the Republic, as he died to make men holy. He did. That's exactly why he died, so that he could wash us with his blood and make us holy. And uh, that's the whole purpose, a big part of the purpose of the sacrament of confession. Once we've confessed our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But uh, once we step out of that confessional, Phil, we, we get... We get soiled and dirty again pretty quick, don't we? I mean, yeah, we, do. we think think about just think about the physical world. And this is one thing I love about the Catholic faith is 
it is very physical along with being spiritual. That goes back to the whole idea of genuflecting and all of it. What we do with our bodies corresponds to how we worship, which is why things like kneeling during Mass are so important. But, but I mean, think about how easy it is to get our shoes dirty and our hands and... You know, when we're just when we're just out, not even working in fields or anything like that, but just to get dusty and grimy, it happens pretty quick. Well, it happens that way in our souls too. We're living in a sinful world, yes, and we are contaminated, whether we want to believe we are or not. And Christ calls us to holiness, and one way or another, we need to get there before we get to heaven, and that. Purgatory is a mercy. How about we leave it there? We can talk more about this some other time if people want to hear more. And of course, goodness knows there are other resources people can check out that'll flesh it out to anyone's heart's content. But that's probably that's probably sufficient on that subject for right now. Uh, we've got uh, one more question on the agenda for tonight, Glenn. Sure. Um, and this is a, a bit of a tough a tough topic. It's not fun. Yes, I know what you're going to ask. Yeah, it's, it's not fun. It's um, I'll just go ahead and, and kind of read the summary here that we that we got. How could you join a group that so blatantly abuses children and covers it up? This is what came in from one of our listeners. I'm going to repeat that because I think it's necessary to get that verbatim. Or actually, Phil, let me just ask you to read it verbatim again, and then I'll respond to sure, it. Sure, sure. How could you join a group that so blatantly abuses children and covers it up? So, even though I would say we probably got somewhere between, I, I would say probably a couple dozen questions all told, and we've only gotten to four or five tonight, I want to let everyone who listens know that when I was talking to Phil in advance of this podcast, I told him that I wanted to be sure to address this question tonight because of all the ones we got, this one is not fun to talk about, as Phil said yeah. very kindly. It's not just not fun to talk about, it's agonizing to talk about. Yes, it is. And, but it also is not fair to the questioner or to anyone else to duck this question. And I don't know any other proper way to handle this than to face it head on and give, I would say, give the answer that I personally give. Uh, depending on which Catholic you ask about this, I'm going to guess you'll hear some overlaps in how I would answer this. But I'm probably going to bring some of my own opinion to it, too, so be aware of that. I do, I do want to ask the questioner um, if, they, if they would kindly consider one way in which they framed this question. Which, if I heard you right, Phil, and I know I read the question myself before we got into the show, but... Um, how could I join a group that so blatantly abuses children? I would kindly ask the questioner if if that's really how you'd want to frame the question of in terms of throwing the entire group under the bus. 
we're talking a billion adherents worldwide to the Catholic faith. Obviously, of varying levels of commitment and uh, even, you know, knowledge levels when it comes to, and, and, and you know, uh, yeah, levels of commitment, levels of practice, uh, devotion, even regular mass attendance, all of it. Sure. But nonetheless, there are a billion people in the world's total population of what, seven or eight billion at this point mm-hmm. who call themselves Catholic. And so I have a feeling that the questioner probably didn't mean it that way, but I thought I probably should clarify that that's that's certainly, with all due respect, not a characterization that I would. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I would accept. However, I certainly don't want either to be accused of, of quibbling. <laughs> sure. Because sure, the, spirit, the, the spirit that animated this question... Um, is rooted in, unfortunately, uh, truth uh, in terms of what has actually happened within uh, the ranks of my faith on the part of a very, very, very tiny minority of clergy. (sighs) But Phil, it has happened. And um, in fact, I'm not going to go into details, but we're dealing we're dealing with a. I've told you about this yes, you offline, have. and I've also, you know, in a uh, in a kind of a covert way, I've mentioned it on my Facebook page, asking for prayer requests. We're dealing with an episode along these lines, not in the ranks of the clergy, thank God, uh, here locally in our in our Kokomo parishes, but we are we are dealing with something that touches on these offenses, and. Um, I would start here. Um, I came to the Catholic faith because I believe that the Catholic faith is true. And that belief has never been shaken across the board from the time that I came to the faith. And I would... I would ask the questioner and anyone else who is wondering if they would just consider this, if you believe that the teachings of a church are true, but then you find out that some of the worst people in the world, and pick your worst example. Well, to me, this is the worst example. A child molester, does it get any worse? So, um, if you think someone does, pick them. If you find out that they were not only adherents to that faith, but alleged practitioners showing others how to do well, yeah, well, no, we don't even need to say alleged practitioners that were supposed to be leading others to the truth, but were violating their trust in the most offensive and horrifying way possible while doing so, does that? 
I would submit this question. Does that negate the truthful teachings of the church because a horrifically odious and sinful practitioner who was abusive was found in the ranks? I can answer. <clears throat> in fact, I will answer that question, Glenn, from my perspective, no. It, it just uh, kind of, again, back to what we talked about before, confusing Christians and Christianity. Um, uh, that's, I, I agree with you, Phil. Let's go back to the founder of Christianity himself and what he said. And who, I'm convinced, looking across the ages that were to come, he partially had in mind. I've said it myself over and over again. Jesus looked at his disciples and perhaps at a crowd and said, if anyone seeks to hurt one of these little ones, it would be better if a millstone were thrown around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he would suffer the consequences of what it will mean if that person was to harm one of my little ones. And Jesus wasn't kidding or telling a parable. He meant exactly what he said. Yes, he did. The consequences will be dire in eternity for those who have committed these sins and have not repented of them. And they will also be dire for those who covered them up and the cover-ups have happened. I, I will say, uh, Phil, and you and I have had a lot of conversations about this, in so many realms, so many church realms, and unfortunately, my faith and my church, to my deep chagrin and sorrow, have shed tears over this, and I have <laughs> raved with anger over it. Uh, the impulse to not the impulse to CYA on the part of church hierarchies seems to be deep and impulsive. Uh, well, uh, impulsive, yeah. Deep and inherent in far too many cases. Yeah. And that is infuriating to me. I have said, and I will, I will continue to maintain this because I know of many, many examples of it. You want to talk about sexual abuse within Catholic ranks and then the cover-up and moving offenders around to, you know, different other posts within the church so they could continue to, in effect, I, I, it wasn't so that they could continue to do it, but in fact, it enabled it. Sure. You will not find anyone more irate over this than practicing practicing Catholics among both the laity and the church hierarchy and falling on our faces before God and begging for forgiveness and and insisting that house cleaning be done. But obviously it isn't in far too many cases. And Phil, since we're on our way to going there, I'm gonna go there. <sighs> Within Catholic ranks at least, I don't know that this is the case when it's occurred within the CHM or within other church realms, because again, I'm sorry to say this, but sexual abuse has been a factor in church ranks across the board in far too many cases within the Christian faith. It has. But within Catholic ranks, 
you will notice, for the most part, it is not opposite sex sexual abuse. It is same sex sexual abuse. When I asked one of my one of my favorite priests, he was our parish priest, our pastor for several years, I think from 2015 to 2020, Father Matthew Arbuckle. When the Pennsylvania report dropped in 2018, I went to Father Arbuckle and I said, look, I'm not wondering about this, but I know a lot of my Protestant friends will be. Um, they'll be wondering, is this a problem because priests are required to be celibate? And uh, Father Arbuckle didn't even hesitate. He said, Glenn, this is not a celibacy issue. This is not a celibacy issue. It is a chastity issue. God has called us all to be chaste, even though he hasn't called us all to be celibate. And chastity is a battle for all of us. But it's a chastity issue. And he said, you will notice a common characteristic among all pretty much all of the offenders when it comes to this. I knew exactly what he meant. I will just say this. In the last 60 to 70 years, let me put it this way. Prior to the last 60 to 70 years, if any young man was seeking to enter the priesthood and was struggling at all, even struggling against it, against the temptation of same-sex attraction, he was not allowed to pursue the priesthood. It was just end of the process at that point. That all changed in the last 60 to 70 years. And uh, not only is that the case, there is a huge left-wing contingent within the Roman Catholic hierarchy that is pushing for all sorts of allowances to the, for those who are same-sex attracted, up to and including the blessing of, quote, gay marriages, close quote. The church will never allow that. I can promise you that. It never has, and it never will. But that doesn't mean there aren't many leftists, including within our church hierarchy, pushing for it. And then we wonder why we have problems. That is not the politically correct thing to say, but it is the truthful thing to say. Uh, I, I will say this. I, I think that Catholics are unfairly labeled with the brunt of, of the, the sexual abuse stereotype. I'd even mentioned to you before, there was a day I was right there. You know, it was always, ha ha, you know, mm -hmm. what, what in the world they think they're doing? You know, look at them and they're sure. just, and then really because of this podcast, I started getting my, my eyes opened and I realized this is far from a Catholic problem, mm -hmm. far from a Catholic problem. You mentioned it earlier. It's a church wide, a Catholic Protestant. I mean, you got the Southern Baptists that are kind of the ones in the spotlight at the moment. Uh, you've had the Mennonites with the, the the Christian aid ministries. You know, it's just it just continues. And then, of course, all the personal stories that I've heard, the the stuff that's happened in the CHM and all that. It is so widespread that it's frightening. It is, Phil, and uh, I yes, I I agree with what you're saying. Uh, although I I do want to not be hesitant to uh, to own what I, I I own what I love about my community and uh, my faith, and I also have to own its failures. And this certainly is one, both a failure of oversight, a failure to clean house, but also a failure to get to the root of the problem and acknowledge it for what it is. I do want to make one thing very clear that I am not saying. Um, nor do I want to be construed as saying, I'm not saying that if someone is same-sex attracted, or even if someone is living out their same-sex attractions, in either case, I'm not saying that that person is destined to become 
a sexual offender against minors. Sure. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying, however, what the practice of the church was for well over 1900 years. And I am also saying, for all of the reasons that I described previously, um, we have problems now that we have not always had to an extent that we have not always had them by any means. And uh, they are issues that, uh, in polite company, shall we say, you're not supposed to address candidly in the way that I have been addressing them. But, Phil, until we, until and unless we do, I'm afraid we're going to see tragedies like this over and over again. Let me uh, play devil's advocate maybe for a minute, Glenn. Sure. Because you said up until when? The past, um, what, 60 years? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, again, I'm not here to knock Vatican II, and I'm aware, Phil, that that's probably not a concept or even or, or whatever you want to call it. That Vatican II is probably something you're not familiar with at all, so I'm I don't not. want to get too in the weeds. But Va- Vatican II was a council that was called in the early 60s by Pope John the Twenty Third, and, and a lot of things like changes to the liturgy. Um, uh, and, and different other uh, consequences that have uh, occurred since then chart from Vatican II on. Vatican II gets credited with a lot of things and gets blamed for a lot of things. So I'm not saying that it was because of Vatican II the liberalization occurred that led to um, abuses such as I've just described. I will say this: there is a contingent. If you and if you read broadly, you'll see it. Uh, you know, a lot of Catholic periodicals out there, etc. There is a contingent of left-wing Catholicism that loves to refer to quote the spirit of Vatican II close quote, and what they always mean inevitably is some move to the left, I always see. the cultural left, and championing championing of liberalization along these lines and permissiveness along these lines. Phil, I just believe things like that have an effect. They do. And uh, does does that help? I mean, there's more that could be said about it. Sure. And if there's more you want to ask, that's fine. But, uh, yeah. To the devil's advocate point there, do you think that it's possible that these things were happening but for whatever reason, no technologies made a lot of things come to the fore, come to light quicker than it used to. Do you think it's such a thing as it could have been happening and, and it just wasn't widely known? I, I'm probably not qualified to speak to that. I'd only be surmising. Uh, he, that's, that's possible. Um, I, I, I will also say this. I'm sure any sin that you could name that a member of the Catholic clergy could engage in literally any sin. Probably pretty much ever since the church has existed, somebody has engaged in it, and they will reap the consequences for it. Uh, the church has always had sinners in it. It's it's made up of people, Phil. And sure. The, sure. the clergy is no exception to that. Uh, although I would hasten, of course, to add that among... In 2,000 years of history, I am confident that 
millions upon millions of Catholic laity, Catholic faithful, both in the laity and in the church hierarchy, have sought with all the power that is within them to take advantage of all of the means of grace and the sacraments and, and uh, you know, church disciplines and all of it to be as holy of a people as they can and have... Uh, I would love to talk a lot more, actually, about <laughs> Catholic hospitals that have been built and and, and prison ministries sure. and uh, Saint Mother now Saint Teresa and her ministry. You know the Sisters of I forget what they're Sisters of Mercy in the poorest regions of India. I mean. These are the things that are fun to talk about, the glowing examples of perhaps actual sainthood here on earth. And that has been led by Catholics. But our ranks have included some of the worst, too. And uh, all I can tell you is Jesus told the parable of the field that contained both the wheat and the tares, right? The wheat and the weeds. And the attendants... And, and the enemy sowed the tares among the wheat, and the field hands went out and found it and came back and said to the master, hey, look, there's there's a mix out in the field. And Jesus, or the, the master said, well, just let it all grow until it's time to harvest, and then we'll separate it all out. Yeah. And uh, that's exactly what, that's exactly where, it, where we are in the church. Things like this, Glenn, it's... Uh... Like I said, we see it so much on the Protestant side, too. And, and whenever I see somebody that claims to be a man of God, you know, a, a preacher, whatever, when I see them or hear about them doing these kind of things, it just feels like somebody just, just stabs, just sticks the knife in and twists it. Oh, and, and Phil, if, if we didn't feel that way, if I didn't feel that way, I would have to question myself, right? Sure. I mean, I'm sure you'd say the same about yourself. If if we don't have that reaction, I would wonder what that says about us. That if we can just sort of let it, you know, roll off like water off a duck's back. I mean, it man, it ought to hit us. It ought to hit us deep. Something that and, I think uh, it just hit me as, as we're talking about this. Something that that I notice on 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 the Protestant side that uh, I, I don't think is really good. See where you're coming from. You have the the, the Catholic faith, the Catholic Church, and and you're um, uh, talking about you know just just how it it um, how it affects you. It it works you up, makes you so mad that these kind of things uh-huh. happen. What yes. is easy? What, what's done a lot of times on the Protestant side is where to your point from earlier, where we are split and splintered so much. When it happens, especially if you're in a small group like mm-hmm. these fundamental. It's easy to just say, ah, wouldn't our bunch ain't my problem. And I have seen that. And yep. so then it just kind of, you know, well, let them clean their own house. Yeah, that's kind of the attitude. Instead of this thing of like, no, we're supposed to, this was, this was done by a guy that's running around in, in, under the, the banner of, of Christendom. And yes, instead of us. Yes, and, and, and Phil, the, when, <sighs> I think a great example for us here from the Bible is the prophet Daniel. The prophet Daniel was such an exemplary man of God, prophet of God, that Ezekiel 
who would have been, I think, pretty close to a contemporary. Either he was a contemporary of Daniel's, or uh, or Daniel was maybe even even younger than him, or not much older. Anyway, he includes Daniel in his listing of like exemplary uh, exemplary figures. Daniel's life that he lived was such a life of fidelity to Jehovah. Yet, what do we see Daniel do when he realizes that the 70 years, he's still alive, and the 70 years have rolled around to where it's time for God's promise for, the, for Israel to return to the homeland to be fulfilled? We don't see Daniel going to God and saying, uh, Lord, all these people are really, really awful and doing a lot of bad things, so please forgive all of them for all their actions and uh, get them to where they need to be, and that way we all can go back to our homeland like you promised. No, there's not even a shred of that with Daniel. He falls on his face and says, Lord, we all have sinned. We all find ourselves in sin before you phil the actions no man is an island just like the poet john dunn said uh we are all part of the whole when one person sins it impacts me when i sin brother it impacts you Mm -hmm. and vice versa you know during during 2020 we heard it all the time didn't we we're all in this together (laughs) well when it comes to when it comes to a price for sin, yeah, there's a real sense in which now, it, well, it's not just a sense. It ha- Jesus paid the price for our sin, but he didn't take away the consequences. Right, right. <laughs> and when sin is committed, it's written into the warp and woof of the universe. There are consequences, and we all feel it. Yes, and and we are all called to repent for the sins of the nation. And uh, let alone the sins of the church. Yes, we we can't say, oh, heaven forbid, we say, oh, that's that's their problem. That's not mine. That in that individualistic Lone Ranger outlook has has no has no place in the church. Can I make one more point yeah. that uh, I wanted to make before we, I suppose, probably close. The close this one down, but um, I want to go back to the questioner about how could I join such a group where such abuses have been found within the ranks. Again, I don't know, I don't know the questioner, so I don't know totally what perspective he was coming from, but I know the perspective some would come from. Okay, so it it would be along these lines. Okay, so uh, if if people who are supposed to be Christians have hypocrites in their ranks and the, of the most egregious kind, well, then that negates the value of the whole faith. Okay, so what are we supposed to do then? Go be atheists? That would be the extreme reaction, right? Right. Well, let's consider atheism and its track record for a moment along this line and along the line of every other offense against humanity (laughs) that's ever been committed through all of history. Not a real strong track record there. (laughs) Uh, 
all in all, I'd stack up the total population of Christians. And yes, you can call this a defense and a pushback to some extent. I would stack the total record of Christians and yes, the Catholic, those of the Catholic faith against the record of atheism. I'll do that all day long if anyone would like to. And uh, if you want to, if you want to count, if you want to wage a tally of the victim count, yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll own that. That's not to excuse anything that has ever been done in the name of Christ that's abused the human being. Right. Uh, Not for a minute. And just saying what I mean in that regard. Well, Glenn, you've done, once again, a fantastic job. Well, I've enjoyed this, Phil, and I imagine we'll do this again because <laughs> there were more questions. There were definitely more questions. We went for about an hour and a half on, uh, what, about five questions. So <laughs> right. <laughs> we, we could have quite a bit of content here, Glenn, if we ain't careful. Uh, as I said last time, I am happy to return for a further engagement. Sure. Uh, anytime you can fit me into your schedule. I know, I want to say this real quick too, I know Kanan and Mariah had to go. It was fun having them here too for the first half. And uh, appreciate you guys and appreciate what you do. And uh, I will look forward to the next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.